As was mentioned, we've been walking through a number of the minor prophets this summer. And uh, last week, Pat called me out, and appropriately so. She said, you shouldn't be saying that you don't like these books. Um, it's true. It, it's, it's just that they're harder nuts to crack, so to speak. You know, where you've got to work harder to, to understand them and pull the, the beauty out of them. But it's still worth the effort. And uh, I, this morning, I want to hit one that virtually everyone knows the storyline to, but uh, I want to go after that. And that's just, in some ways, that's just as hard as the other, because it's finding something that you haven't thought about or that might be relevant without overdoing the story. Most of our kids can tell the story of Jonah, right? Guy's told to go to Nineveh. Um, he runs the other direction, big fish swallows him, vomits him out three days, three nights later, he goes to Nineveh, people repent, he gets mad, God speaks to him about it anyway. Okay, I guess we can go home. No. <laughs> um, let's set this up a bit. In First Kings, or Second Kings, excuse me, um, there's a, a statement made that Jonah had prophesied some returning of land and a securing of borders that uh, came true. And in some ways, you're a hero when that kind of thing takes place, right? I mean, it, he spoke for the nation and said, some good's going to take place, and it did. Now when he's called to go to Nineveh, this is something he does not want to do. Because Nineveh is an intimidating place that in some ways is going to really have an adverse effect on their country in years to come. And there's already a sense of dread in connection with this place. So for us to probably get a, an appropriate sense of this and even a, an awareness of what Jonah was walking through... Maybe let's just look at a few questions. Like, is there anyone that really intimidates you? Fair enough, right? Or is there anyone that inspires fear? And do you look at them as a potential child of God that could receive of the Lord and turn to him? I mean, that's kind of the situation that we're looking at. This man sees an intimidating country and city kingdom, so to speak, and is looking at them as being Israel's destruction. And so he's going, I don't want to go help them out. I don't want to say anything that might change the, the judgment that should be coming to them. I guess, whose success could harm you? And are you looking at them as a potential child of God? Are there people, groups, or nations that you look at with a, an initial fear and going, they could do great harm to me, or Christians as a group, or, you know, our nation? doesn't really matter what. But that's, that's kind of the mindset going into this, okay? 
And so if we're going to get anything about out of it, in some ways we need to be willing to address those situations and those people and ask that we could see them from God's perspective. Okay. Um, he gets up. He runs the opposite direction, trying to flee the presence of God. That's a good one, isn't it? You know, get away from God. Let's escape. Um, that's funny, except that we do it ourselves. Try to avoid what God's speaking to us as if we can get out of sight or out of, you know, he won't see us. Uh, doesn't make any sense, but he takes off. And then, uh, you know, he, he gets into a situation where he gets on a ship, huge storm comes, and it threatens to break up the ship and, and frightens even the sailors. And maybe another insight out of this would be that when we're running from God, that can bring chaos to all those around us. That it isn't just harming ourselves, but there, there are others that are affected by our disobedience. And so we should never think that it's, it's as simple as just me avoiding something, but there's impact to others throughout this whole process. And here's, here's the crazy part of it. The ship is, is in a place where they're afraid they're going to drown. So what's he doing? He's sleeping. So he's completely disengaged. He, I mean, one of the factors of depression at times is just trying to sleep your way through life, right? In, in some ways, he's disengaged. He doesn't want to know any of the details. He's just... If I can sleep, I don't have to think about things. I just, uh, I just took off on a rabbit trail this week, just tracking sleep and slumber. And, and, of course, the statement made about God is that he never slumbers or sleeps. And we appreciate that because it says we're never outside of his care. He doesn't forget us. He doesn't just fall asleep and go, oh, wait a minute. I had to take care of that person. That's not him. But also in Scripture, there's seen as a, a spiritual uh, darkness or, or a lack of awareness when people just, it's like called spiritual slumber. They just disengage from what's really going on. And of course, then we're encouraged to be sober and alert. Interesting, you know, when, when Peter had a couple experiences, the Mount of Transfiguration, he suddenly wakes up and sees these people glowing and he's like, what on earth? You know, he's having a powerful experience, but he's, he's been sleeping through a good share of it. And then in the garden, when Jesus is about to be taken into captivity, and, and he's encouraging them, pray. This is an important moment, pray. And they're sleeping, and they're just going, you know what, this has all been overwhelming. You know, just give me a few minutes rest, and I'll do better. Um, there needs to be, in a sense, that awareness in us of what the time really is and when it's appropriate to sleep and when it isn't. You know, it, it, there's a sense that, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, we, we are so used to looking after our own needs and our own cares that uh, this becomes almost elevated to uh, a place of, 
well, I, I deserve this. I, I'm, I'm tired. And there's a more important question of what's really going on and what's needful in this moment. So anyway, I assume in depression, whatever, this man just checked out, went to sleep. And finally, the sailors are going, they, they, they're going, we've got to find out what's wrong. They cast lots. Uh, that says more than what I understand. You know, it's like, we're going to figure out by casting lots, and it works for them? I mean, it's cool. I just, you know, you just, okay, it's beyond my range of experience that way. But that's what they've done. And they, they narrow it down to him, and uh, they go, who are you? You know, where are you from? What's going on? Who's your God? Why is this taking place? And uh, he's, he's going, well, you know, I'm running from the presence of God, and, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing what he's asked me to do. And they... Uh, they try to bail him out. You know, they, they, they do their best to take care of him. And again, maybe another insight. When people are running from God or avoiding obedience to him, not even their friends can truly bail them out. Right? And I'd suggest to you that not even your government can bail you out when you're not following what God wants. A lot of the programs that we incorporate to help people are really meant to assist them in disobedience, and it's just not going to work. All it does is bring grief to everyone. So there's a, there's a need to recognize that obedience is what allows us to function in health and well-being. And no amount of coddling by our friends or assistance by others is necessarily going to bail us out of the moment. It's interesting to me when he says, well, pitch me in the ocean. He's not, at that point, even looking at making amends. In fact, in some ways, he's looking at suicide, right? Throw me in. I'll drown. It's over. So he is yet to, to face the, what needs to happen. And these men make their declaration and say, God, please have mercy on us for this act that we're about to do. And then they sacrifice and offer vows and prayers. In other words, this guy's running from God, but he's still leading people to God in spite of his life. You know, it... Some of the dumbest things we'll do of a person whose heart is for the Lord will still be used by him. Years ago, I've told this before, but it deeply impacted me. When I was working construction, another guy and I were jawing at each other, and it got fairly extensive. And uh, so much so that at one point, if he had turned around, I was going to jack him. And uh, a little while later, I'm, 
I'm calming down, and I'm talking to one of our friends going, I was right there. And he's going, I thought you would have. You know, it had been nasty enough. And uh, the friend that I was talking to ended up getting saved out of that conversation and some other things. And I was just going, in my weakest moment, God was still using that. And uh, do I recommend that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> but I know that he works in us, even in our frailties. And so this man's tossed into the, the sea, and the sea calms, and these guys are going, God was here. And they respond to that. Um, nevertheless, that puts Jonah... You know, he gets spit out of the, the, the whale, or fish, I guess it's called. And he ends up back in the same place that he was. Because God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now there's a... Uh, I can see one of my slides didn't make it. There's a incredible thing that takes place as a result of this. And this is one of the things you wouldn't necessarily pick up. Nineveh, in its root word, means fish. It was developed as a fishing village on the Euphrates River. And so in the symbols that are associated with it, there's like this water enclosure with fish. And they worshipped a fish god and had a temple built for her. And so you have this guy that spit out of a fish and whose body probably was bleached out from the experience. And he goes to this city, having come out of this fish, to the place where they're, where they're worshipping fish and says, God has a message for you. So even in his disobedience, God is taking that and is going to use it for his good and is going to use it as part of the message. So, I mean, when we look at our lives being rebuilt in the Lord, at times we carry a, a, a portion of shame over some of the things we've done when we when we make that turn and we realize how wretched things were, there's a tendency in us to say, oh, all of that wasted. And in truth, except for God, yes. But that's where he comes in and refashions it in such a way that it can be used for good. Now, would we ever say, oh, it was, so it was better for me to go through that? No. But it will be taken for value and turned into value. And so there are experiences like that where we look back and we're not so proud of that situation, except that there's a knowledge that God ends up taking that and rebuilding it in such a way that even that has value in our lives. That's a true healing of the past, so to speak. That's a true restoration 
where everything involved gets used for value. And so no longer do you look back and say, it was all wasted, but you say, it was started in futility, but it was turned for value. So in this situation, this man who gets swallowed up by a fish and spit out on the land, who most likely had his skin completely bleached. And part of the reason that I believe this is I go to Luke and it says Jonah was a sign for Nineveh. You know, in the New Testament, it it isn't just Jesus saying, nothing shall be given you except the sign of Jonah. But in, in one of the passages, it also says Jonah was a sign to Nineveh. So that was long before the time of Christ. So he walks in as a visible sign of the power of God even over the fish. And so, you know, he goes in and when he brings the message, they listen. If you've spent all your life worshiping fish and there's this man who has the fish message, it has a little more credibility. So he's walking through this large city for its day, and he's declaring things. And again, that's a type of thing that I hope God never calls me to. I've done a significant amount of street witnessing in the past, and and it still unnerves me every time I step into a setting like that. But to just stand on a corner and start proclaiming, It's complicated, I'll tell you that much. This guy that comes to Northern regularly, and and you know the story, because there's a lot of abuse hurled his way. But Jonah is, is, you know, he's been called by God to do this, and he does it under reluctance, and people respond. And so they begin to repent, and the message goes to the the king, and he calls everybody to a fast. And he says, humble yourselves, even the animals. Everything needs to be humbled before God. Because he's been declaring, 40 days, then you're dying. And they repent, and it says God relents. And they... The presentation is, God doesn't want to strike them down. God wants to show mercy. And so when they repent, it opens a door for that possibility. I skipped the whole second chapter. I'm not going back. (laughs) Read it on your own. It's special. (laughs) It is good. Jonah, after he's given the message, goes and uh, goes to the east of town, it says, constructs a little booth for himself. He's out in the sun. He's just watching. Angry. And uh, God allows a vine to grow up and give him some shade. So that's, you know, this, for a bad situation, this is really pleasant. 
And then the next day, God sends a worm and kills the thing, which, that's amazing, right? And then it says he sends a scorching east wind. So the man is miserable and angry, hot and bothered. And in that, God begins to speak to him and says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Absolutely. I mean, I was chewing on this. It's like, how often do we put our energy and our appreciation into creature comforts over the need of others, particularly those that we're intimidated by or fearful of? You know, how often are we remodeling, so to speak, or buying a new gadget or furniture piece that'll make us more comfortable in lieu of listening and saying, God, do you have something or somewhere you want this to go first? That's what challenged me when I was when I was looking at this. But that said, you know, God walks us through with them and says, you know, you got all caught up over this temporal thing. Here one day, gone the next. I mean, that's the epitome of it, right? So he said, you got really consumed over this, and you got very angry that it died. Now, I want you to know there's 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left, and I'm assuming that's in a spiritual sense. He's saying there's a whole city here that's developed and lives that have are years and years old. And there's not just one, there's thousands. And he's going, don't I have a right to be concerned about them? You're concerned about a plant that was here one day. He's going, I'm concerned about those that have a life that potentially are going to be destroyed. And so he's looking at that and saying, this is my heart. And that's what we have to gather out of this book, is that it doesn't matter how we view people, but God's heart is for everyone. And it doesn't matter if they intimidate us or not, or whether they inspire fear. You and I know there are always people groups that inspire fear regarding a nation. There are always individuals that, you know, maybe they're a bully. Maybe they've gotten off on making your life miserable. That does not mean that they are out of God's care and his compassion. And so we have to see things through his eyes and be willing to address that situation, and if need be, be part of the solution and the transformation of their lives. It's, it's rather unsettling to walk through that, isn't it? Because God might actually ask us to do something. We'd much rather prophesy the return of land and well-being to everyone around us. That's much more fun. 
But there are times when he calls us to speak life even to those who have deeply bothered us. And it's important to keep that in mind as well. He loves all people and desires to restore rather than destroy. So, just a quick review. Running from God is futile and can lead us to any number of dead ends. That's the reality of it. And there are times when we ought to evaluate and say, why do I keep failing? Or why do things keep falling apart? And the truth is we've run from him and have yet to yield to what he desires. Secondly, the scars of disobedience, once submitted to God, may become a source of witness and healing to others. Incredible thought, isn't it? And finally, God has compassion for all people, including those who we fear. Lord, let your scripture speak life to us. Let us take these lessons and allow them to stir our hearts as you desire. We ask that your Holy Spirit would even in this moment bring to mind individuals that we've been intimidated by and you would help us to see them with compassion through your eyes. We ask too where we have we are carrying scars that need to be built into wholeness and well-being. We ask that you will do that transformation work in our hearts. Thank you that's a, that's available to us. As we've been going through these different books, a common thread has been that God is issuing warning and even declaration that trouble's coming. And then also beyond that is a place of restoration. In this particular book, the message is for a group of people that didn't even believe. They responded and God relented. In the other books, Israel didn't respond and, and God did bring trouble to them. Now, there's a kicker in this in that eventually Nineveh goes back and becomes a huge thorn in Israel's side. But in that initial setting, they experienced the goodness of God and found out the fullness of what he can do and is willing to do in compassion. Lord, help us to take that to heart. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the compassion that you hold for them, the rebuilding and restoration that you do, and your willingness to touch others' lives through them. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with your supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're needing restoration, I'd encourage you to seek out someone in prayer. If this is a time where you're saying, God's asked me to do some things that I've been unwilling to do, again, seek someone out and say, 
pray with me that I'll have the courage to do what needs to be done. What remains is open-ended worship. Um, let's settle these things and then go home. Enjoy the rest of the day. God bless you.